Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Money Talk for Saturday, August 11th. For Annex Wealth Management, I'm Mark Oswald. Today we're going to emulate the Milwaukee Brewers a little bit who've been playing what's been called positionless baseball. Well, today we're going to try some positionless radio. So we're going to do that on Money Talk today. And as usual, I'm here with Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, and Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex. And later on, Danny Clayton will take the reins and begin to talk to even more members of our team. We've got a full slate, and if everybody does their duty, the hour will fly by. Duty certainly was uh, there for the traders this week, Derek, and the markets did well again. The markets are up for this part of the year. Talk a little bit about what's happened in different sectors of the market and the market as a whole. Well, Mark, on a year-to-date basis, the Dow is now up about 3%, the S&P 7, NASDAQ 17, and small caps up 10. Uh, the more interesting thing, to me at least, is the separation between growth and value stocks. Growth stocks continue to do well, up 12%. The Russell 1000 value up only 2 uh, And international markets, despite the fact that investors continue to pile money in overseas markets, are actually down for the year. Mark, let's spend a little time going through that. I know that we talk about some of this terminology, but I'm not sure that everyone understands what that is. So let's start with growth versus value. I think that's an excellent point because I think it's easy for us to come in and say value stocks are underperforming growth stocks. But Derek, when you talk about what makes a company a value stock versus what makes companies a growth stock, where's that consideration? Where does that line between growth and value? Well, what Russell does is they basically segment the universe by two things, three-year forecasted growth rates and price-to-book value. So an expensive stock is considered to be a growth stock, and a company that's growing earnings on a forecasted basis is also considered to be a growth stock. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those companies are going to grow faster than some elements of the value universe. So for example, in our portfolios, we're using financials. That's a big component of the value index. And energy stocks is another another one where we've seen really sharp earnings increases this quarter. So let me just jump in. So growth, though, it doesn't have to be expensive. Growth can be a reasonable price. And in fact, that's an acronym that does exist in the financial services business. Well, the growth index is literally based on valuation being expensive and earnings forecasts, which generally lead to expensive valuation. So, for example, the technology sector is a big component of growth indexes, technologies led all year, consumer discretionary, another growth component, and healthcare. So when you say expensive, though, I mean, it would lead an investor to believe that that would be a stock that you'd want to stay away from. You're just talking about sectors that have that have high price-to-earnings valuations, not necessarily that the price of the stock is too expensive to buy. The relative valuations of growth stocks to value stocks are as stretched as they've been in my career. So when I think about 
you know, what's expensive and what's not. Yes, there's a growth rate and then there's a multiple. And if you adjust the growth rate for the multiple, then perhaps some growth stocks are less expensive. So there's this GARP, growth at a reasonable price. And, right. I, and I guess that's what I'm leaning up to. And if you're listening to this, you would say, why, if that's the case, why would I buy an expensive stock when I can buy a less expensive stock? I mean, I'm a frugal person. That, that seems that somewhere I should invest. All right. So this is a great factoid for both of you guys. The tech index as a percentage of the S&P, tech, technology stocks are now 26% of the S&P 500, but they're 50% of the profits of the S&P 500. So you could argue that those stocks are cheap despite the fact that they're growing and are a large component of the index. So go back to the value component now. You mentioned financials, and sometimes you have good companies that just aren't valued in the marketplace for whatever reason. We've had, obviously, regulation, Dodd-Frank on financials, and there have been other things. There have been 0% interest rates and other factors. Does it, is that what leads a company to be a value stock, to be undervalued by, by investors? The way I look at it, Mark, is you know, index construction is based upon a committee that sits around and decides and, and, and anoints certain companies as growth and value, and they pick a couple of metrics, and there we go. And that's why you know, when we talk about exchange-traded funds and the like, you really have to you know, peel back the, the onion and, and take a look at what really is in these indexes. So, for example, in value, you've got financial companies as a big component, the biggest, and they're starting to grow earnings at an accelerating right. rate, actually faster than many. Many, many sub-segments of the growth index. Well, then you look at the numbers that you started with. So talking about growth and whether it's expensive or not, you're getting paid. If you look at the NASDAQ, look at the NASDAQ up 17% year to date. And, and the investors in those tech sectors have been rewarded, whether that's a growth component or a value component. And that's a really interesting conversation, Mark. And there's a lot to talk about, not only with growth and value stocks, but on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about earnings. We're going to talk about consumer sentiment. All of this stuff leads up to a really important conversation on where you should invest. And you know, we always talk about asset allocation here on the show, but really that means where should you push your money to? And these are all the topics that we're going to talk to on the other side of the break. You're listening to Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk with Annex Wealth Management. I'm Dave Spano, Certified Financial Planner, sitting in for the venerable Danny Clayton. And joining me, as usual, is Mark Oswald and Derek Felsky. And a lot of stuff that we uh, we tried to cover in the last segment, but the, the clock ran out on us. But the, I think we are in a situation where we have to talk about earnings and what companies are doing with their earnings as well. I think that's really important because last week we talked about earnings growth on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis. And, you know, the second quarter earnings were really good for companies about 23% over 2017 earnings for the same quarter. But I think the salient part of that really becomes what does a company do with the money that they earn? Because that, that is what ha you know, that's what props up stock prices and, and everything else that goes with it. So, Derek, when, when a company makes money, when there's earnings at the bottom line, they can do a number of different things. They can invest. They can issue dividends. They can buy back their own stock. Talk a little bit about stock buybacks and the impact on the stock price that that has for 
for people who continue to own that stock. Yeah, Goldman Sachs this week came out with a really interesting report, and what they're suggesting is that companies in the United States in 2018 are going to buy back a trillion dollars worth of stock. So, for example, since 1231.07, essentially the median buybacks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average around 20%. So 20% of the outstanding shares that existed in 2007 have been purchased by companies. So, so since 2017, that basically inflates their earnings per share by 20%. And, and as a result, and, and, you know, and then the other thing that's going on, too, is the Wilshire 5000, which used to have 5,000 stocks in it, now only has 3,400. And, and part of that reason is that, that compliance issues and the cost of being a public company. In fact, we heard this week that Tesla is considering going private, although the SEC is looking into whether that was an appropriate tweet or not. I mean, stock buybacks have definitely been a supporting factor for uh, stock prices in the United States this year, enhanced by the tax bill that was passed by the Republican House. Let's use Senate. a couple of examples, Derek, because I think to get for listeners to understand what we're talking about, look at a company like Apple. So look at Apple on 1231 of 2017, basically the beginning of this year. There are 20% fewer shares traded because Apple bought 20% of its stock back. And what happened to the price of Apple between January 1st of this year and yesterday? Well, Apple's obviously risen not only because their earnings have grown, but also because the share count has declined. So you've got essentially more earnings spread across fewer shares. So that essentially reduces the multiple and, and, and basically has led to great returns, not only for Apple in terms of buying it publicly, but also for shareholders as well. Let me ask you this question. If you are listening to this and you have a little bit of cynicism in your blood, would you say that companies are manipulating the benefits from the tax code to do this? I mean, is this to everyone's benefit, or is it to just the shareholders of that company? Well, one of the fears was that when the tax bill passed, that companies would, would not invest in CapEx, would not invest in hiring new people, but they would actually just do financial engineering. But at the at the end of the day, we are investing in stocks at Annex Wealth Management and ETFs and actively managed, managed funds, and to the degree that that benefits those share prices, our clients benefit. So, yes, the shareholders benefit disproportionately. Interesting. You did mention uh, Tesla and uh, Elon Musk, of course, uh, is the primary owner of Tesla. And he sent out a tweet, and that made a significant difference in his bottom line. It was a more than, he made more than a billion dollars from the, ch- the move in the share price because he suggested in his tweet that he was going to take the company private. He didn't just ins- suggest that. He said he had the financing arranged. And we're talking about a $60 billion market cap, and we're talking about the second most shorted stock on the New York Stock Exchange. So if you're a short seller... In fact, one very well-known uh, hedge fund manager for, who grew up here has a big short position there. They they suffered because people get nervous that you know if you're going to take the company private at 420 and the stock's trading at 320, that's that's a that's a lot of pain for someone who's short. You're talking about Chanos, and he yeah he's he grew up here in the city and is a very famous uh, hedge fund manager in New York City right now. Well, and also Einhorn. Einhorn as well. That's yes. right. So the two of them are out there talking about shorting that stock. And, you know, there, there is so much that goes into this earnings report. But at the end of the day, we had really good earnings reports again this quarter. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that was kind of baked in the cake. The estimate before the quarter began was 21 percent. It's going to come in closer to 25. But what most people fail to understand is that Q3 and Q4 also look really strong at, at 20 percent plus. And the Atlanta Fed recently came out with a third quarter GDP estimate of 4.7%, which is stronger than the second quarter. So it's hard to imagine that companies won't do well in Q3 if they're even close to right. So we have a lot more to cover. 
and I know we have a bunch of other people that are going to join us in the studio. Uh, Jill Martin, our estate planning lawyer, is going to come here, and so is Mandy Nowashinsky, a tax planner. We're going to talk about really good stuff because that is what wealth management is. So, Derek, I know it's uh, I know it's Saturday, but if you could stick around, we'll uh, we'll close the show with a conversation with yourself, Derek Felsky, and Mark Oswald. This is Dave Spano, Certified Financial Planner for Annex Wealth Management. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? We say it all the time. It is team technology. It is trust. This one is about the team. And coming back to the show, Randy Winkler, CFP and financial planning manager. Randy, welcome back. Thanks, Danny. We've got Eric Strom, one of our financial planning specialists. And we have Mandy Nowashinsky, our uh, CPA, CFP on staff. Eric, you've got a success story that you want to share. So, Danny, we're going to discuss annuities again. Um, And you and our listeners may remember from our last segment on annuities that these products can sometimes come with certain bells and whistles. And this is a pretty common one. It's called an income rider. In this case, to be specific, the insurance company was guaranteeing a certain amount of income for the rest of the husband's life. This is a husband and a wife that we were working with. That is one initial concern right there. What if, God forbid, something was to happen to the husband early in retirement? The wife would no longer have that guaranteed paycheck coming in month after month. I've seen enough of these where I knew something was wrong. So I actually called the insurance company, and what I was able to do was simply change the way that we were taking income from this annuity. And in that process, we made two very important improvements. The first one was we got the income to be guaranteed for both the husband and the wife's life. So now, as long as one of them is still alive, they will keep getting that check every single month for the rest of both of their lives. Did that cost anything to do? It didn't cost a single thing. All we did was change the way that we were taking income from this annuity. So no switching products, no elaborate things, just a small change. And not only were we able to get that income stream to be guaranteed for both of their lives, but we also gave them a raise of $200 a month, which would last for the rest of both of their lives. Does this fall into the, it sounds too good to be true? It almost does. And I'll, I'll tell you how this happened. The client had been sold this annuity years ago. It was in set it and forget it mode, which many annuities out there are. And they had elected to turn on the income under this rider, this bell and whistle that we discussed earlier. And they had elected it a little too soon because they weren't getting that expert ongoing guidance that they really needed to get the most money out of this annuity. And I think that this is a story that might resonate with others out there. If any of our listeners have an annuity or something that they think might be an annuity and it's in set it and forget it mode, I would ask a question. Are you getting that expert ongoing fiduciary guidance? guidance on your annuity because if you're not that's something that you really really need because these things are complicated and it's rare for somebody to buy it and start using it immediately so part of the problem is it makes total sense to you when you get it and then 10 years from now when it's time to do something you don't remember why you got it what the bells and whistles are how do you turn it on what's changed so it's important to have somebody take a look at that and i give you some expert guidance eric strom financial planning specialist thank you very much thanks Meeting the team on the show today and the folks in from the financial planning department. Actually, have you adopted Mandy into the financial planning department? She's an honorary member. She's an honorary member. Very, very valued member of the team. Mandy Nowashinsky is our CPA and tax planner. Mandy, I thought the R in RMD meant required. What happens when you forget an RMD? You start to worry. So how'd this come across your desk? It was a prospect who came in, kind of looking for advice. Um, I reviewed their tax return looked at their age, went, hmm, mid-70s, but I don't see any IRA distributions on their tax return. So there, there is something missing there, and that's when we determined that that R 
that required part of their required minimum distributions wasn't happening. Wouldn't a company just send, do we have to ask for it? Every single company has different guidelines and where it can get complicated is if you've got what we call financial fragmentation. I have an IRA here, I have an IRA here, I have an IRA there. You may be working with an advisor that's aware of one or two of the annuities and they arrange for the RMD, but there's another one that they're not aware of. It's not included in the assets that Mm -hmm. they manage. So then it is really dependent. Ultimately, the responsibility falls on the client. Yeah, in this case, it was um, just a mutual fund held in an IRA. Uh, Mutual fund company sent a letter when this person originally reached 70 and a half. One letter saying, hey, you've reached the age. We should start taking some distributions. We get a lot of mail like that. Sometimes it doesn't even get open, right? Right. It goes in the trash. They, They didn't know, didn't respond never contacted them again and you know the years after so you know that's when you go wow this is a big event in people's life and they need guidance from their advisors and this didn't happen is he in tax trouble no so that's what we did so we asked the irs for relief so what you can do is generally the penalty is 50 percent of the amount you're supposed to take out you're supposed to take out five thousand the penalty is twenty five hundred dollars I got to pay $2,500? That's the penalty, yes. Holy cow. So it's a hefty penalty, but what you can do is we asked for relief. We explained the situation, said, you know, here's the amount I was supposed to take out. We fixed it. We took it out now, a couple years later, explained the story, waited for the IRS to say yes or no. We got a yes. Did you deal with a human on that? No, we okay. just wrote a letter. Okay. So we filed the forms. We wrote a letter. IRS dumped it into their system, whatever they do over in IRS land, um, and then they sent a letter saying, we approve your explanation, and we won't come after you for that 50% penalty. Good job. And I bet that person was really, really happy. Well, it's always fun to have a win against the IRS. Andy Nowashinsky, our CPA and tax planner. You have to stick around because we're going to talk about the tax holiday in a little bit. Yes. And we're right in the middle of it. We are. It started. Stick around for that. All right. Randy Winkler, CFP and financial planning manager. You have one, a client success story. Yes. We had a a client that came in and we love it when they ask the question about what they should do rather than coming in and say, this is what I did. So they came in and said, we want to make some home improvements and we're curious, should we use our home equity line of credit or should we make... IRA withdrawals. Okay, even I think I know the answer. Okay. Don't do the IRA. Well, don't do the IRA for all of it. Okay. So what we did is we took a look at tax rates and interest rates. So the home equity line of credit, they were paying 4%. The IRA, every dime you take out, you're going to pay income taxes on. So they were in the 12% tax bracket, which is, even though nobody likes to pay taxes, that's not a really high rate. But in the process of making a withdrawal, if they did that, they would have crossed over into the 22% bracket, which was a big jump, and we didn't want to do that. So because they would be taking IRA withdrawals at some point, and the tax rates are reasonably low at this point, we decided to maximize the 12% bracket and then take anything that would have gone above and beyond that, take that out of the home equity line of credit. What's your reaction when you give them that answer? A lot of times it's like, oh, I never thought of that, or that's what we have you guys for. Sometimes we've got the people that love working with the geeks, as we're called, where we can actually say, well, this way it's going to cost you X amount of dollars, and this way it's going to cost you 5X dollars. Uh, So it can be very provable which way to go. Those are client success stories. We do that each and every week here at Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. It is team, it is technology, it is trust. And we've been talking about the team. Randy Winkler, Mandy Nowashinsky and Eric Strom, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thank you. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dane Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Dave Spano, being joined by our tax planner, Mandy Nowashinsky, CPA, Masters of Tax, and really Master of the Universe as well. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, there was a quiz that was online uh, this this week, and I said, well, if it's a tax quiz, I'm going to send it over to Mandy to see how you did. And 
I think you got one wrong out of how many questions? Uh, there was 20 questions, and I got one wrong. Okay, we're going to get to that. Yep. But uh, let's go through a couple of these, because I, I found that they were interesting. The first question was withdrawals from an annuity. And the reason why I want to go through this is because a lot of people have non-qualified annuities. They could have gone to their bank. They could have been sold from their insurance agent, even their stockbroker. And they have these products. What do they do with them when it's time to take out? Right. So that's, you know, got $10,000. You invested in this non-qualified annuity. It's grown to maybe 19000 Let's say you want to go take money out. That growth, that $9,000 of growth comes out first and is taxed you first. So that means dollar for dollar out until you get to your original amount put in is taxed to you. So there's a crazy acronym for that last in first out and that's uh, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be Mandy here but uh but that's one of the things that people should know because mm-hmm. even though you put in the principal it's taxed differently. It is and it's taxed at ordinary income rates too which are higher than if you had just been getting dividends kind of all along qualified dividends. Let me tell you something that is a huge point. So let's say that you went out and you've built a, a portfolio of dividend paying stocks. They are getting a better rate than mm-hmm. and if the money that came out of, for example, a bond, even a bond or an annuity that is taxed as ordinary income, correct? Right. So from a tax perspective, dividend paying stocks have a little better rate than a non-qualified annuity or just a normal bond, a taxable bond. It could be twice as much, right? It could, yes. So 20% uh, is, is seems 15 to 20% is the capital gains and correct. dividends rate mm-hmm. versus the highest income tax is up to almost 40%. Right. Because you got the base rate is 37%. But once you get up there, you know, there's an tax called net investment income that kind of kicks in and that's an additional tax on top of your additional your yeah you're, be, you're being nice you're being apolitical but uh, most, most <laughs> i will call, call it what Obamacare. i really call it all right, all right. <laughs> all right so surrendering second another question surrendering paid up life insurance talk to us about what that looks like sure and that's very similar to a non-qualified annuity you have this life insurance you've been paying until you get to retirement and you go you know i want the cash now i don't really need life insurance so so you've paid ten thousand in, it's grown to something. If you take that out, you gotta pay ordinary income tax on that growth. It's no longer a tax free type of investment. But there is a way to tax to get it tax free. And I mean the result is not always that great. It would have something to do with a visit to the mortician. That is correct, yeah. So if you receive life insurance because somebody passed away, that to you is that's tax free. When somebody passes away and you collect life insurance, there's no tax event that happens. So there's not income tax and in, if you do it right, there could not even be an estate tax if correct. it's if it's placed correctly. Exactly. Even if you have fifty million, if you place life insurance correctly, you wouldn't have to pay estate tax on that. So that sounds good, and the insurance company has continued to uh, keep that benefit despite the fact that Congress has taken swipes at it, and the lobbying efforts from the insurance company has done a really good job to make sure, because that's a huge benefit to folks. It is, it is. All right, moving on, question that we had that, that was not only on the quiz, but it was a question that we had as well, and that is one of our clients was paying a mortgage for their mom, and what does that look like? Right. So, you know, a lot of question is, is, I pay the mortgage, I pay the real estate taxes, can I get that tax deduction? And the answer is no, you have to own the property. So unless your name is on the title or the deed, you cannot take the deduction for the mortgage interest you're paying on behalf of anybody. It could be a child or a mom. Well, that's not that good. So if people want to take advantage of that, if they don't do it, is there a way to get the deduction, though? You could gift right. the money right. to, let's say, your mom or a child, and then they could make the payments. And get the deduction. So the child would get the deduction. You know, there's no way you can get the deduction unless 
unless you're actually on, you know, right. as owner of a property. Well, that's better than losing it. All right. The question exactly. you got wrong, I got to point it out. Negative Nelly over here. <laughs> All right. So, and actually, I didn't know the answer either, but Social Security and taxation could be a whole show. But it let's could. talk about the one part of the Social Security and taxation, how it's taxed and where the money goes. Right. So if you have other income sources in retirement in addition to Social Security, um, a portion of that Social Security is taxable. So you're going to pay tax when you receive Social Security. Where does that money go when you pay tax? Income tax. It actually goes back into the Social Security Trust Fund. So you could be paying, let's say, 12% tax on your Social Security that you're receiving. It goes back into the Trust Fund. Theoretically, you could get back out in your next Social Security paycheck. Right. I did not know that. And of course, they need the help as well. I appreciate your time today, Mandy Nowashinsky, tax planner at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for coming in, Mandy. Thanks for having me. Money Talk with Annex Wealth Management here on WTMJ. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Joining me is Jill Martin, the estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Good to be here. What is the simplest way to describe an estate plan? I break down estate planning into two important components for people. There's the lifetime planning to make sure that things are taken care of in the event that something happens to you, whether temporarily or permanently. And then there's also the estate planning that happens once you pass away, making sure that there's an easy distribution of your assets to your heirs. What's the difference between an estate plan and a will? A will is a component of the estate plan. That is one document that people use to make sure that their assets are passed to their heirs at their death. Okay. If somebody has a will, then why do they need an estate plan? Sure. So an estate plan encompasses multiple facets of your life. So for estate planning, you want to make sure that you have something called a durable power of attorney in place that helps make sure that if you're incapacitated for any reason, someone can step in and take care of your affairs. There's also a healthcare power of attorney so that if you cannot make healthcare decisions for yourself, there's someone there that can do that on your behalf. The will is only a component that comes into play once you have passed away. What exactly are trusts, and does that is that part of your pie? Basically, the trust becomes the primary document and the primary vehicle by which you can pass assets at your death. It also helps provide some continuity of management of those assets during your lifetime, both while you're alive, if you become incapacitated, and at death by avoiding the probate process. Jill Martin is the estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management, part of our very deep bench. You must run into this all the time. People think that you got to be like a mega rich Rockefeller to have an estate plan, right? Do you find that? I do. But estate planning in today's day and age with the new tax law that just got passed in December is no longer about planning to avoid estate taxes. Estate planning is about so much more. Making sure that your heirs are taken care of, there's continuity of management. If you have special needs of beneficiaries that need to be considered, so estate planning is all about things that we do for non-tax reasons and making sure that you're leaving a legacy, not avoiding estate taxes anymore. What about cases where there's like maybe a family business, it's setting up the second generation? Is that part of what we do? It's a component of what we do. We rely heavily on great attorneys in our markets to really advise those business clients as well as Annex. But succession planning for business owners is a critical component of estate planning to make sure that there's a seamless transition from the first generation to the next generation in that business. How often do you see cases where succession planning had, hadn't taken place and it's, it's a problem? 
It does create a problem. I think a lot of attorneys that we work with, and both here at Annex, we have great advisors on staff that can really start those conversations early in the process before it becomes a critical problem for for clients. Jill, if somebody brings in a previously constructed estate plan, something done outside of Annex Wealth Management, and you're going to review it, what are your process steps? We see this a lot, Danny, because we don't draft estate plans in-house at Annex. We are here to provide a service and an advisory capacity for our clients. So estate planning will always be done by an outside attorney. But what happens is is we have clients who maybe they did their estate plan 10, 15, 20. I've even seen some since I started here at Annex that are 30 years old, where it's really important to make sure that you're looking at that fairly frequently. I recommend at least every three years, but there are also events during your lifetime that require you to check in and look at that. If you've lost a spouse, if a child has died, if you have a significant change in your wealth, or even if there's some family dynamic, maybe a child's getting divorced or something along those lines, that it's really important to make sure that your estate plan tracks along with all of those changes that have happened. What kind of information do we provide back to the people with an estate plan? We provide information about what does their estate plan actually provide. So we look at all of the documents in detail to make sure it's actually what the client believes is in their estate plan. Sometimes there's a disconnect, um, making sure that then all of the documents flow how they want it. And we kind of demonstrate through a flowchart process what that's going to look like at the various stages of their life and how their assets are going to flow through that. I know you know, and we talk about this a lot on the radio, but the team here at Annex is really deep, including a, a stellar tax department. You work in concert with them t- when it comes to estate planning strategies, don't you? Absolutely. Mandy and I work very closely together because with the income tax laws and so many people have IRA assets and qualified plan assets that have really significant income tax issues that go along with them if they're not planned for correctly as part of an estate plan. So we work very closely together to make sure that whatever plan is in place for a client is done in the most income tax efficient manner. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk with Annex Wealth Management. I'm Dave Spano, certified financial planner, and back in the studio, Mark Oswald and Derek Felsky. We want to take this last segment, Mark, to talk about some things that we haven't got to. And obviously, I want to talk about the economy. I want to talk about the Fed, but there's other topics that we should cover. There certainly is. We're in almost the middle of August now, and we're starting to look forward to the midterm elections that are coming up, the primaries, and then, of course, the general election in November, and what impact that might have on Washington and also state government. But, Derek, you know, when you start thinking about that, I think the word that comes to me is volatility, is the possibility of some uncertainty. So investors could expect to see some volatility leading up to this election. Well, historically, in a midterm election year, you don't see a whole lot of stock market progress between you know the summer months and, and November. Um, you know, The one thing I would point to is there was an election in Ohio on Tuesday. Uh, the Republican candidate for the House did win, but barely. And this was a, in a district that Trump carried fair, fairly significantly in the prior election. So it certainly suggests that the, the House is at risk for the Republican Party and that that could, that could have an effect on business confidence, on, on people's willingness to invest prior to the election. Uh, and, and many of these, you know, fiscal initiatives that have been that, that have already occurred have occurred. And, you know, what, what I don't think people want to see 
is a contentious atmosphere for two years where nothing gets done in Washington. Well, you know, we try not to be political because investing is an apolitical science. We, we try to look at the landscape, and that's why we bring this up, is if there is a change in the control in Washington, what does that mean for investors? You know, we had obviously a Democratic president for eight years and now a Republican president, and it's just what investors have to deal with because, of course, you have things like repatriation and, cha- and changes in tax cuts and how it affects health care and all kinds of different sectors. That's our interest in this, but certainly volatility again, what's going to happen in the market between now and November, it would not be unforeseen if we start to see some bumps. And and we haven't seen them, and it would make sense, Derek, that we could get a pullback, and in fact, you made some moves uh, with the investment committee this week. No, we did. We we raised a little bit of cash, uh, more from more aggressive accounts, less from more conservative accounts, as they're they're not as highly uh, exposed to U.S. equities. So we raised, raised a little bit of cash this week, and we hope to deploy that opportunistically during periods of weakness between now and November. And I think that we are not alone in that thinking that if there is a pullback, it's probably going to get bought. At least that's the consensus throughout the street. Yeah, historically, when the market goes up in the four months, you know, April, May, June, and July, uh, during even during a midterm year, after the midterm elections, the market on average has rallied 10%. So we do believe there's upside ahead, particularly given the fact that with these dramatic earnings increases we've seen from the S&P 500, that the valuation of the S&P on a PE base is actually better now than it was at the beginning of the year because the market has not kept up with earnings. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. In the Atlanta Fed has an estimate of 4.7% for Q3, and that is a really good number, a number that we haven't seen actually since the recovery began. And that's a GDP number. Derek, is that runaway growth or is that normal? No, that's that's certainly, that would be the best result we've seen in, in, in five years. I mean, last quarter was 4.1. This quarter, the early estimate is 4.7. And I think, as I mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago, that 4.1 number you know, involved the diminution of inventories. And that's part of the reason this 4.7 looks so strong, because inventories are going to be replenished in the coming months. And then why that's important is really because how the Fed is going to look at this and what they're going to do with interest rates. Certainly in terms of inflation, if you see an economy that starts to run hot, you're looking at an inflationary period, perhaps, but we have not seen that with wage inflation, and I think that's that might be the bigger statistic. And right now, Derek, the inflation is still at the target the Fed is trying to uh, achieve for a number of years now. What we've said on this show any number of times is when wage growth is less than 4%, the Fed typically doesn't get really aggressive about raising rates. In the last report, it was 2.7. It does seem like that number is going to start to move higher, and that's part of the reason we we raise some cash. It's not just about uncertainty about the election. It's also that, you know, higher interest rates are a little bit of a headwind for stocks. For example, short-term uh, fixed income instruments are now yielding more than the S&P 500. That wasn't the case before. Uh, and earnings have continued to be good. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a headwind of rising rates, tariff fears versus great earnings. Okay, excellent. Thank you for joining us, Derek Felsky. Mark, uh, before we let everyone out of the studio, there's some things that we'd like people to do. Well, certainly, you know, we've had a growing list of listeners that every week are going in and getting signed up for our Axiom. More and more content's coming out. You know, if we do get volatility, it's it's great information because it gives you some insight into what our investment committee's thinking. If you want to get on that list, it's free. It's good information. You go to AnnexWealth.com and get yourself signed up for Axiom. Uh, it comes into your email account every Sunday. 
it's good reading, good good uh, information, and you'll also get notice on a lot of events that are coming up. So you get prior notice and get signed up for those. And we made a couple of changes that will be uh, in this weekend's uh, uh, axiom as well. The, pr- the presentation is a little cleaner to read, I think. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece. I mean, our marketing department does a great job of putting that together, but the content, the style, the readability is really first class, and uh, we think you'll enjoy it. My name is Dave Spano. Thank you for your time today. You've been listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. A quick reminder from Annex Wealth Management about a free event for the whole community. A lot of news about the economy is great, but if you feel you've been left behind or you're feeling some financial hardship, you are not alone and there is help available. Sometimes people need help with advice on money and finances. The Financial Planning Association of Wisconsin, along with Marquette University and Children's Community Health Plan, invite you to Milwaukee Financial Planning Day on Thursday, August 30th. You can speak one-on-one with a certified financial planner professional absolutely free of charge. There are no strings attached, just free financial planning advice, plus ongoing presentations like real-world retirement planning and investment basics. Spanish language resources will also be available, along with child care from noon to 6 for kids age 4 and up. Join us for Financial Planning Day, Thursday, August 30th at Marquette University Alumni Memorial Union in Milwaukee. Learn more at fpawi.org. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.